With AI or any new technology, my advice would be don't don't be afraid of the technology and don't think that it's not for you and that you can't understand it because that's almost always wrong. There is almost always a way where if you're interested in this technology, it is for you and you can understand it. Welcome to Professional Profiles, a podcast where I interview industry experts to understand their jobs, learn about their journeys to success, and uncover the strategies they've used to find it. I'm a professor in copyright law mainly. So I went to law school uh, and I practiced law for a while, mostly for technology clients. And for the past almost 20 years, I've focused mostly on intellectual property and copyright law. That's, that's basically what I do. What was it about intellectual property law that interested you the most? I've always been a huge science fiction fan. And along with that, I've always been really interested in technology. And intellectual property law is basically the study of how the law adapts to new technology and how new technology you know, affects the law. And so, yeah, I realized that pretty, pretty quickly and then I, was, then I was hooked. That's what I wanted to do. So with the advent of artificial intelligence and it becoming more prominent in our lives, what has that changed in your profession and what does the future hold? So we should start by being clear on what we think of as artificial intelligence. Because when you say artificial intelligence to some people, they think of C-3PO and HAL 9000 and machines with the cognitive and real-world ability of humans or perhaps even superior to humans. And that's not the world we live in. And I don't think it's the world we're going to be living in anytime soon and possibly never right so there's this whole other meaning of artificial intelligence which is like the broader definition so what i've just described the sort of movie studio version of artificial intelligence people call that agi artificial general intelligence all of the ai we have today is highly specialized so most of the ai we have is really the best way to think about it is computer programs or systems that take the place of human intelligence. You know, computer systems that allow you to do things that would otherwise require human intelligence. And that, that way of thinking about it is really useful because it gets you to understand that just because the computer is doing something that ordinarily requires a human intelligence to do doesn't mean that the computer is intelligent, right? It's, it's not doing things the same way you or I would necessarily do them, but it's achieving the same result. And that kind of artificial intelligence, yeah, where like, like that runs our world, right? Um, you know, the machine learning that does you know speech recognition self-driving cars um, 
uh, when you know people apply for a loan, like a computer will take into account like a hundred different factors about their lives based on credit reports, throw them into a huge mathematical model, and basically decide how much of a credit risk is this person, right? So the 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 legal issues that I spend most of my time thinking about are what happens when we replace human decision makers or human actors with computer systems. So I'm not really worried about Skynet and the computers taking over the world. Um, But I'm very interested in questions like, well, if you give an instruction to a computer and it produces something that looks like a piece of art, who owns the rights in that piece of art? Was it legal to feed in millions of pieces of art into that program to kind of train it up so it could learn to do that? Those kind of questions. Now, some of my colleagues are interested in questions like if we have a decision system that we think actually works better than a human doctor to say, decide, you know, what prescription someone should get or what's the, the treatment protocol someone should get when first coming into hospital. How do we need to like rethink medical negligence if we're substituting in you know, algorithmic decisions for human decisions? Um, and, you know, like AI has really captured the news, uh, you know, a lot since Chad GPT, obviously, but you know, we've been living in this world for a while and it's becoming more and more important. The The thing that's exciting and new about chat GPT and large language models like that is that they are much more generalizable than anything that's gone before. You know, even five years ago, there were a lot of people who just thought that we're never really going to get computers to create plausible sounding language, right? You know, we can, you know, people have been using computers to create music and to do some art in particular context, you know, quite effectively for a long time. But even five years ago, it just seemed like a machine that you can just chat to and ask different questions and you don't realize within just three or four questions that this is just a dumb machine, that that's just really hard. And it turns out that mostly it just required throwing ridiculous amounts of computer power and data at the problem, that there is this weird kind of emergent property of abilities that these chatbots now have that's mostly just a function of scale. And so if you want an analogy to think about this, I mean, you know, if you think about the difference between a bee and a beehive, one bee by itself is just not very impressive, but a beehive as a collection of bees has, you know, emergent properties that are quite different to the individual bees. Um, And so, yeah, this is definitely a technology that's going to change the world. It's interesting. Like, like for me, I field a lot of questions from journalists, and you know, one question is basically, well, you know, how excited slash worried should we be? Like, how how big a deal is this? Um, 
And, you know, like, this is not like the invention of electricity or the steam engine. Right? It's not like the Industrial Revolution. But maybe it's like that point in what for you is ancient history in the mid-1990s when uh, Tim Berners-Lee invented HTML and basically started the graphical internet, right? Computers had been talking to each other for a long time, but Tim Berners-Lee, who was a physicist at CERN, figured out like just a better, more user-friendly way for people to create websites that would allow computers to talk to each other. And, you know, like, you know, for most people kind of that's when the internet began. And yeah, you know, it's it's definitely changed a lot. How do you see artificial intelligence impacting creativity in various fields, such as music, art, and literature? It's a really good question. I think that AI is going to have a profound effect on creativity. It is going to make creativity more accessible for more people. You know, just to give you a couple of examples, like you can you can create music without having any technical skill to play any particular instrument, right? You don't need to learn how to play the cello now to create cello music. You can you can do that synthetically. You don't need to learn how to paint or draw to produce at least computer images of paintings and drawings, right? Because you can, if you have an idea, you can prompt your way through Midjourney or Dali 2. And so I think sort of analogous to some previous technologies, it is definitely going to make creativity more accessible for more people. How that is going to change creativity, I don't think we know. So when the camera was invented and became popularized, which is you know, more than a hundred years ago now, all of a sudden, people who worked with watercolors and oil paints looked at what the camera could do and they're like, well, damn, why, why am I painting realistic things, right? Like any idiot with a camera can take a, representative photo of realistic things you know you know what am i supposed to do and so photography has kind of evolved along its own track but you can see the shadow that it's cast on art like artists became much more non-literal and representative right because they were reacting to the camera and so if you use that as an analogy human artists are always going to be struggling to differentiate themselves from things that can be mass-produced, things that can be just churned out by a machine. And if you look at writing, like, I don't know if your teachers have, I'm sure they've talked to you about whether or not you can use chat GPT in your homework and in your essays. Um, you know, my, my view is that these things are a tool in the future, everyone will be using them, so we may as well start using them now. And you need to learn to use them you know, appropriately. And if you think about what ChatGPT does, it really it raises the bar. Like now, you can, if you think of a few bullet points for what should be in an essay, 
and you know kind of the style that it should be in, you throw that into ChatGPT and you'll get generally something pretty conventional and mediocre, right? But definitely like a passing grade. And so I think that raises the bar on people's writing. I think people in high school and at universities and colleges everywhere, like just sort of like minimally proficient writing will no longer be deemed as, oh, okay, well, you've learned something, right? It's now it's now not evidence that you've learned anything because maybe you just did it on chat GPT. So I think good writing will become something that is has an authenticity to it, has a has perhaps something interesting or surprising to it. You know, will show that you like understand a genre, like a task that you've been given, but also how to maybe work against the conventions of that genre. You know, because I think more and more there'll just be a premium on, for God's sake, you know, write this like a computer didn't write it. And so, you know, I'm an academic. I read a lot of academic works. One thing that academics often end up saying is that, you know, more research is needed into, you know, XYZ. It's like, you know, here's what I've shown based on what we know, but, you know, now let me at the end of my paper confess the things that we don't know or the things that we need to look into further. But yeah. ChatGPT uses more research as needed as like, it's almost like a verbal tick because it's a phrase that appears so often in academic writing. And so if you ask it to write something like an academic, it will, you know, it will say that a lot, right? And it also like, it's been optimized to be a little more cautious and to hedge. So it's often not definitive, even when you ask it something that it should be able to give a definitive answer to. So I was writing a paper the other day, and at one point I found myself saying, more research is needed. And I'm like, can't say that. Like, it's been ruined by ChatGPT. And so I think it would be ridiculous for me to say, oh, I know what's going to happen, like how this is going to affect creativity in any specific way. Um, But I think these are the broad things we should be looking for. It's you know, just like the music synthesizer, like enabled a whole new generation of people to do much more with much less, right? You know, the costs of music production are so much lower now. The technical requirements for you to understand given instruments are much lower because of the technology we already have. And so, you know, that trend is probably going to accelerate. The trend of everyone should be able to write a grammatical sentence that is spelled correctly. Like Microsoft Word's been helping you out with that for decades now, right? So you no longer get a gold star just for not having spelling mistakes, right? That's kind of the minimum. Well, you know, now you're no longer going to get a gold star for doing whatever like the base level that ChatGPT could do. It's going to raise the bar on what people expect in written communication. Yeah, other than that, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Do you see in the future human creativity being a skill that separates the people that are high achievers from everyone else? Like, is, is human creativity going to be more at a premium? I think so. I think creativity in, in all sorts of different forms, not just, not just, you know, can you draw a good picture or write a good poem, but entrepreneurship as well as a kind of creativity. I have seen 
at least in my career, is that the people who really rise to the top are not all the absolute smartest people in the sense of who would score well on like a standardized test or, you know, who topped their class at law school and clerked for a Supreme Court justice, right? Some of those people actually are terrible academics. They were really good at a kind of, you know, in one particular paradigm of processing and being tested on information. But then when the job became, take a look at the world around you, jump into an academic conversation, and then push it in a new direction that no one's thought of, well, it's just a totally different skill, right? I think it's probably always been true that the people who get ahead, you know, not only have like skill and hard work and, you know, a good amount of good fortune as well, but they have a kind of creativity or initiative or a way of seeing the world differently. And, you know, I think those aspects are, you know, very important. So is traditional intelligence or education becomes sort of less important because of the raised baseline, how can people separate themselves from mediocrity? Like what are the new skills that are going to be needed in an artificial intelligence era? I'm not sure I agree with the premise. I think that the traditional skills that you learn in school, I mean, you know, I should say in like an ideal high school education, I think actually you know, you are learning some really important things. It's more that the the work product that evidences that you have learned those things, you need to do more to kind of differentiate it from something that could have been done using chat GPT. Um, I, you know, I studied you know, modern history and when I was in school, I studied modern history and economics and physics and math and English. And I don't think, I mean, honestly, I don't think I really learned anything useful from physics other than I learned a little bit about the history of science, which just turns out to be interesting and fun. But also, you know, don't you want to understand the universe around you? Right. Um, but in English and modern history and economics, you know, I didn't just learn like, facts about the world, like what's the GDP of this country, why did the Weimar Republic collapse in Germany leading to World War II, that kind of thing. I learned how to read. I learned how to argue. I learned how to frame an argument. I learned how to write persuasively. Those deeper skills, like learning how to learn, that's really, you know, like those fundamentals, they're still the fundamentals. They're still really, really important. And, you know, I see that in law school. I see a lot of students come to law school and they work very hard at trying to figure out what's the angle? Like, how can I get ahead in this class other than by doing the things that you're telling me to do, which is read the cases, analyze their holdings, read them again, make sure you understand them, you know, and people are like, oh, should I use this supplement? Should I use this outline? Like, like, 
yeah, you could do all those things, but honestly, if you just spent more time doing the basics, it will probably help you more. And so, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not an expert on education. Um, so I don't, you know, it's very difficult for me to say whether the modern curriculum is really preparing people. You know, my, my guess is that even as things are changing really quickly, focusing on the fundamentals is as important as ever. Because if you just look at how much the world has changed since, you know, even since I left university in the late 1990s, I mean, a lot has changed really fundamentally. And the, the knowledge and the skills that I fall back on are, you know, fundamentals. Learning the basic principles because, you know, the way those basic principles cash out changes all the time, but the fundamentals don't change. What are the potential ethical implications of AI-generated creative works, especially in relation to copyright and intellectual property? Yeah, I think there are some profound ethical issues and and also broader social issues. I'm not sure if these count as ethical issues or not, but the the first and most obvious issue that is going to occur to someone like me, who is a copyright lawyer and thinks about copyright all the time, is is it legal to use other people's copyrighted works as the training data for your new work? That is a complicated question. The the answer under current US law is at the moment, yeah, it probably is. Because as long as what you are taking from those old works is not their expression, but learning much more fundamental relationships, then you're entitled to learn things from works that exist and use that knowledge to create new works as long as the new works are different to the old works. So that is, um, I mean, that's certainly what I think the current law is. I think that's pretty much the, well, it's not the consensus position, but I would say most, you know, most copyright academics think that that's broadly correct. Let's assume that it is, right? Does that mean that you should? Does that mean that there shouldn't be any limitations there? And, you know, if you think about some extreme cases, like, you know, should you be able to take all the works by an artist who's alive today and create new works that are sort of recognizably in their style, but don't look enough like any of their individual works to say, oh, yeah, you definitely infringed on that work, right? That's a question people are asking a lot. And one way to look at that question is to say, well, maybe maybe we need to go back to our copyright law and think about whether that training really was not infringing, you know, if that's the outcome. So that's one way of looking at it. But another way of looking about it is to say, these large companies who are deploying these models, like what's their social responsibility? What's their ethical responsibility? There's a, a fantasy artist, his name I think is Greg Rutkowski, who has illustrated a lot of video games and things for Dungeons and Dragons. And his name is a very popular prompt in Midjourney and other AI image generation platforms. A lot of the time when people are using his name, 
they're using it in conjunction with a bunch of other people's names and they're not really saying give me a work that looks like it was by this guy they're saying this guy makes high quality works in this genre i want a high quality work in this genre and they're kind of using the name as a shortcut but the downside is when you do an image search for this man's name you just get this flood of things that are not by him and that seems very unfair right so you know is that a legal is- issue I can come up with some legal arguments that are sort of not quite copyright, but they're in related fields like right of publicity or possibly trademark, interference with business relations. But it's also an ethical question. I think as someone who's unleashing this technology on the world, a technology that definitely benefited from all of the human creativity that's come before, do you just have a personal responsibility not to be an asshole? (laughs) Like not to, not to allow these, you know, like really foreseeable and problematic uses or, you know, to respond when you see them happening. Like, you know, perhaps not this scenario, maybe it just never occurred to anyone, but now that we see it happening, you know, isn't there something you could do to at least, you know, reduce the negative external effects of this kind of technology? So that's, that's one set of issues. I think. More broadly, we've also got to think about uh, you know, whose whose jobs are getting replaced, and how you know w- what the sort of ethics and social responsibility is for that. And currently, there's a writers' strike on in Hollywood, and one of the issues in that writers' strike is how the studios will use AI. Now, my understanding of the writers' position is that they're not saying. We want to go back to writing everything by hand and never use technology. I think that what they're really concerned about is that studios will combine the work of human authors with a kind of a a layer of machine authorship to basically dilute the credit that the human authors get. And that credit very much determines who gets paid and how much they get paid at the end of the day. So writers... You know, I don't think they're actually opposed to the technology. They're just opposed to having their share of the returns from these movies and shows diluted by the technology. But yeah, I think this you know, AI is going to be disruptive and that disruption is going to be felt very unevenly. I think I don't see it really affecting the work of copyright law professors anytime soon. Right, for all sorts of cultural and structural reasons. Um, I think people who make a living producing you know, cover art for books should be worried. Right? That is a type of art that you can easily see being replaced. People who make a living producing fine art and you know, selling individual pieces of art, I think have nothing to worry about. I think you know, that, that whole market is not concerned with you know digital recreation it's all about the originals and the kind of story and narrative that goes along with them you know i don't think tom cruise has anything to worry about from ai but ai means that we probably will have to hire fewer extras right because we'll just cgi those people and 
AI will make it easier to make that plausible. So it's definitely going to have some effects. It's going to be disruptive. Um, it will almost certainly create a bunch of new jobs as well. Like historically, that's what's happened with new technology. And it's usually been hard to foresee the new jobs and easy to foresee the old jobs that will be eliminated. But we don't, you know, we don't know that for a fact. Like this is not like a law like gravity. This is just like, well, this is what happened before. Maybe this is what will happen again. Um, but I think, you know, certainly thinking about dislocation and how to minimize it and how to help people affected navigate through it is something that we all need to take seriously. What industries would you say just in general would be most affected positively by AI and have more jobs? Yeah, I mean, computer programming for sure. Um, although then again, you know, there's, there are some computer programming tasks that are now being done by computers, but usually in a collaborative way. So I think, I think this is going to, at least for the next 10 years or so, lead to like another huge sort of wave of tech jobs. Uh, I think it's hard, it's hard for me to foresee that. How do we strike a balance between human creativity and machine-generated output? I don't know how to answer that question because I think the answer is going to be different in every single domain. I think when you are designing the cover of a box of cereal, your concerns about the balance between human and computer creativity are quite different to if you're writing an article that is you know supposed to be like you know your thoughts and contribution no one really cares about the authenticity of the picture on their box of cereal right people care very strongly about the authenticity of you know here's an editorial written by professor matthew sag it's like well yeah it should be written by me right it shouldn't be just oh you know i said computer write me an editorial on ai Right. And so it's an important question. It's the right question to be asking. But I just think there's no universal answer. What would be your one piece of advice for kids in high school about finding their job or finding their future? And what would you say that their future has in store for them with AI? With AI or any new technology, my advice would be don't don't be afraid of the technology and don't think that it's not for you and that you can't understand it because that's almost always wrong there is almost always a way where if you're interested in this technology it is for you and you can understand it and you know even if you know, you're not going to be a computer programmer or a scientist but if you're interested in the technology there are a lot of different ways to work with it in business or, you know, in, in my case as, as a lawyer. And so, you know, I think just be, be prepared to kind of dive into the details and don't, you know, don't, don't be intimidated by what you don't know, right? Because, you know, there's always things that you don't know and, you know, learning things that you didn't know, like that's what makes life interesting. 
if there's nothing you don't already know, like life must be pretty boring. And, you know, my general advice is, I would say, you know, it sounds very trite, but, you know, like self-belief, like, you know, really, you know, like, you know, be prepared to, to back yourself. You know, what I would say is understand the limits of your knowledge now. Don't feel like you need to have everything all planned out. If you were stuck with the career that you planned out when you were five years old, we'd all be fire officers and police officers, all right? And there's nothing wrong with those careers. As you learn and grow, you realize that there are different things, opportunities, careers, you know, things you'd never even heard of. So the way I've lived my life is to kind of, you know, pursue long-term plans, but also to be adaptable, you know, look around every so often and say, oh, you know, what, what are the opportunities? What should I be doing here? And uh, that's worked out okay for me. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to stay updated for future episodes. My name is Charlie Hubbard, and this has been Professional Profiles.